Hey guys, joining me today is Sharif Joinson. Sharif is a writer, personal development coach, and relationship coach. He's also a dad, a dedicated life partner, ex-husband, personal trainer, unarmed combat instructor, and former soldier. He has been involved in the martial arts since early childhood and practical psychology, meditation, and general self-development since his early teens. He now helps other men become the strongest version of themselves. Sharif, welcome to the show. Hey, Colleen. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I'm looking forward to discussing the most common problem areas for men in relationships. But before we do, please take a minute to fill in the gaps from that intro and tell us how did you get started on your journey? Okay, so there's a really short answer, which is I got into personal development coaching for men through teaching self-defense. And that's about it. (laughs) But the, (laughs) the longer version of that is that through my own journey in the martial arts, which was, as I traveled along that path, I came to realize more and more that it was actually not just about the art, the sort of tradition of the martial arts, but it was about learning how to actually protect myself for real against real violence. And then as I stripped away the layers of that and took away the sort of traditional aspects of what I was doing, I found that I was really getting involved in preparing myself for real world violence. And I wanted to essentially get good at violence in order to protect myself from it. And when I got really real about that and started training men in a way that was very real in this way, and we started getting right to the heart of the matter. So we took out the kind of uniforms and belts and all that kind of stuff and got to what is it that makes you good within the context of self-defense, physically dominating another man and all that real raw stuff, which I now refer to as the inner caveman. So that the deep sort of protective aspects of ourselves, a lot of stuff comes out. And what I really found with myself and with the people I was training, that a lot of us struggled with boundaries, personal boundaries on many levels. And so we're all training me and my students to get good at defending ourselves on this very obvious boundary, which is, hey, I am not going to let you kill me. And myself and my students, we got good at doing that. We'd be good at defending ourselves against knife threats and gun threats and, you know, all these kind of situations. And yet we'd go home and be scared of our girlfriends or, you know, or we wouldn't be able to ask for the pay rise from our boss or say no to uh, the person who wants to stop us in the street and talk to us, you know. So, yeah, I got into talking to these guys on a deeper level and looking at myself on a deeper level. And, yeah, I suppose the lines are quite blurry from where it stopped being unarmed combat, self-defense training and personal safety and where it became personal development. But through there, it quite quickly went into working with men in their relationships because with myself and all my guys, that's where our weaknesses, if you will, show up the most. So I suppose that's really how I got into this. That's a very interesting story and quite different to all the other stories that I've heard on this podcast and on other podcasts as well. And it's truly amazing how these forms of art and science combine into one powerful tool, weapon that helps men improve and become the best version of themselves. So I would like to ask you, Sharif, about your vision on masculinity because you embody two archetypes that are very frequently associated with the image of what a man should be like. 
and I'm talking about the British gentleman, that's one archetype, and the other one is the martial artist. So can you elaborate a little bit on how these two very different yet very powerful archetypes play out in your own life as a man, in your business, in your relationships, with your clients, and also what is the vision that you've created for yourself when it comes to being a man in today's world? Yeah, thanks for that question. Good question. Um, yeah, it's funny you say about the British gentleman, actually. Um, I don't think about that very often, but actually just yesterday I kind of was... It's November here, and in the UK we have this tradition around this time where we all wear, not all, but a lot of people wear poppies, these little red flowers, and it's a symbol of, it's really specifically about World War One and all the people who fought and lost their lives, the soldiers in World War One. but it's really about all soldiers in all conflicts, and not just British, actually. For us, it's a very British thing where we honour our fallen soldiers. So I'm wearing a poppy. And I've also got this year a little pin as well of the cat badge of the regiment that I served with in the Army Reserves because I do feel that kind of pride there and I do quite enjoy being British as well, <laughs> I have to say. And it's funny because as I get more into the mind-body scene with my work and with kind of circles that you might call New Age, that kind of thing is often rejected. And so I was quite aware of that. Like, I'm wearing this thing, and I thought, hmm, some people who I'm sort of working with and connecting with these days might judge me for this, actually. So when it comes to masculinity, my understanding of masculinity and manliness, it's essentially a social construct. It's what any given society says, wherever you are in the world and whatever point in time, says a man should be. And it is a social construct. And as such... It's always going to be bullshit, essentially, because it's a man-made idea. And it's pretty much the same all over the world. There's, very, uh, there's a lot of crossover, but there's some differences too. And so when it comes to masculinity and what it means to be a man in this sense, I don't really pay much attention to that. I don't really teach that. I don't ever work with men or myself and then say, well, men should be like this. I'm a gentlemanly type and I do this, so hey, you should do that too. And that's the way it is. So for me in my work, I work really with the masculine, which I'm sure you're aware of and your listeners are aware of, the David Dada take on the masculine and feminine. This I work with. And a lot of the masculine characteristics that you could say, especially here in Britain, there's a lot of elements of the masculine in that, of course. But there's also a lot of unhealthy stuff what these days a lot of people are calling toxic masculinity you know where stiff upper lip is something that comes with this britishness and which essentially means biting your lip which essentially means not expressing yourself which essentially means repressing your emotions and this is something i definitely do not advocate so yeah so that's my answer and i hope that does that answer your question yeah absolutely absolutely and i would like to respond to that because you mentioned taking into your awareness and paying your respects to those who have fallen on the battlefield, especially in the World War One, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I heard about the puppies in London, I think, three years ago. I was at a, a psychotherapy course there, and one of my teachers, actually, it was the course leader who brought this up. Yes, it was November, but the reason why he wanted to mention this is that Everything that has happened 
in the world wars yeah world war one and obviously world war two and in any major conflict that involved the army a war those types of events shaped our society today even if we believe that these events are far away we are here we are living in the now and all that stuff actually those events are still very very fresh very new and they still influence the way we show up today in the society that we have created because there are transgenerational issues that still come up today from that time period and becoming aware of this paying our respects for what those men did for what they stood for is actually the first step into not necessarily stepping into our masculinity but definitely to healing our society because you mentioned that there are various toxic models of masculinity out there today and you mentioned that stiff upper lip (laughs) (laughs) and various limiting beliefs about what the masculine is or about what masculinity should look like have to do with us not being able to fully understand various moments from our social history, from our past, and not paying our respects, not taking them into awareness, and not trying to fully understand what really happened there. And usually these are the ways in which various toxic models, not just related to masculinity, but in our social life in general, are able to penetrate here and now. So I just wanted to mention this. And one other thing that I was curious to dive in deeper in is the way in which you were able to bring Eastern elements from your martial arts trainings and the concept of the samurai. I love the title of your book. (laughs) Yeah, we'll dive into that as well a little bit later. So Eastern concepts of masculinity and personal development with Western archetypes that have to do with you living in the Western world, the Western English-speaking world, the British gentleman, not in the sense of a social mask, an archetype that many look up to as being an ideal. And many men, especially living outside of the UK, whether they admit it or not, are either admiring this model of masculinity or maybe they feel threatened by it. And quite recently, a very interesting movie was released from Hollywood, Kingsman Golden Circle. And you see the British archetype versus the American archetype there. I mean, the Americans were very fun in that movie and I really get it and it's cool and all that. But the British gentlemen win from my point of view. (laughs) It's like Yeehaw versus um, Bond, James Bond, right? You know, exactly, exactly. (laughs) So how do you feel that these elements shape your interaction with the women in your life, with the men in your life? May I ask you to elaborate a little bit on this? Yeah, well, there's a lot going on there for me in that question. Something that maybe I didn't mention previously is with the martial arts. I started when I was about seven. And then when I was 14, I started to get into the mental, philosophical and spiritual aspects of the martial arts. So this is all the very Eastern stuff, you know, so Taoism, Zen. And what I didn't really understand at the time to be Tantra albeit Japanese Tantra, 
It's really interesting stuff. And it's really coming full circle for me this year particularly because I started studying a new martial art myself, the Japanese sword, under an instructor called John Evans. He's an amazing man who has also been one time himself a monk and practiced these spiritual teachings himself. And so where it comes together is that what I found for myself through basically stepping away from the Eastern spiritual internal stuff and taking this hard approach to combat training through what we call reality-based self-defense, which is put me in touch with a lot of sort of ex-bodyguards, military, police. I've worked with some special forces, ex-special forces guys. You know, every martial arts instructor likes to tell everybody. It happens to be true in my case. And so what I found by taking this hard approach is certain truths that were actually being taught in this sort of Eastern spiritual, internal and soft approach to martial arts. So a lot of the mental aspects such as what we call in the Japanese martial arts mushin, which means no mind, which is a very Zen concept, which means a non-labeling presence and Zanshin, which is a similar kind of awareness, and Fudoshin, which means the steady mind. And these are all masculine principles discussed in, for example, the way of the superior man. And so these things, for me, it's really interesting to see this stuff come together. And the way it shows up for me in my life and the way I try and not always succeed, I have to admit, to be with the people in my life, particularly the women in my life, my woman in particular, is that I try to be as present as I can. I try to step out of my mind and out of the stories that I have in my head. And I try to have a deep control of what's going on inside me. And when I say control, it's not a hard type of control. It's more of a surrendering. And by doing that, I practice emotional openness and feeling where there is closure and tension in my body, and which, of course, will show up in the way I communicate. And people will pick up on this. So I try to feel into my center. I try to feel the voices in my head that tell me all sorts of lies, essentially, that might close me up emotionally. So I try to relax into who I really am and take ownership of what's going on with me and how I show up for people, for my kids, for everybody. And basically, I stop looking to other people to be responsible for how I feel. And the only way that we can really do that is by feeling into ourselves on a very deep level. And so in this sword training that I'm doing currently, it's all about being extremely sensitive to what's going on inside you and also to the other person. Because in this martial art, the whole thing is that you're standing toe to toe or sword to sword with somebody. You're both holding essentially what are two foot razor blades and one wrong move. And that's it, really. Like, there's no going back. It's not like the ting, 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 sword, hanging, kill bill style. It's one move. And if it's the wrong move, you're done. So in a weird way, in order to be really good at killing in this context, you have to be extremely empathic and extremely sensitive to the other person and feel what's going on. And this is what I discovered for myself in my own self-defense training and in my own real life encounters with dangerous situations, you know, having grown up in some of the rougher parts of London. So, yeah, when you can be really sensitive to somebody in this extremely intimate context of you're trying to kill each other, then in a strange way that crosses over to all other kinds of intimacy in life as well. So I hope that answers your question. As for the sort of Britishness of it, what's interesting is 
John, my sword sensei, is British, but went out to Japan in the 80s. And I think he was there for 20 years or something like that. And he's very British too. And you can feel that in him. And it just ties in perfectly with the samurai archetype, if you will. The calm, cool, collected, present. And what most people don't really think about, and this will be the last thing I say on this before I ramble on too much, is that the highest samurai ideal is to be able to kill with an open heart. So that is to say, he'll cut you down and all that stuff, you know, the fighting stuff, while all the while being completely emotionally open to everything that's going on. And so a lot of the work I do with people physically one-to-one is... I get them to feel the difference between being really closed and really open and how you can actually be, even in an open, vulnerable state, completely deadly. So you can be extending love to somebody completely and at the same time be completely ready to kill them. And as weird as that sounds, that's how I try to be at all times. And it does have a profound effect on me and the people around me. And when you're in that place, people can feel it particularly the women in our lives. And this kind of stuff is where the single men enjoy it a lot because this is where it's all about their presence when they're talking to a woman and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Absolutely, absolutely. I love it. And I'm sure the audience will really love this episode. It's very powerful. And I want to go a little bit deeper in the things that you have mentioned and opened up. And I want to ask you about the work that you do. You work with men, you also work with couples. And you have also published a book, you've written a book, The Relationship Samurai, A Man's Guide to Owning Himself and Mastering His Relationships. Some of the principles that you have mentioned are also in your book, and I'm sure that they play out very powerfully in your connection with the guys that you're working with. And I would like to know a little bit more about the way that you provide support to your clients and how are you guiding them? How are you helping them face the most common challenges that men face nowadays? Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's very different for each client. And what's interesting about the guys I work with is a lot of them come to me for self-defense training only. Like that's all they knew of me. Like I'm the self-defense guy. So they came to train with me in those ways and then we start working on other stuff so for them it's we mostly get together and you know beat each other up a little bit and then (laughs) within that do some personal development and you know um, I mean I'm being you know being fun with the way I say that it's actually a lot more structured obviously but um (laughs) and then there are some guys I work with who come to me of course for the other type of coaching that I do and the most effective way for me to work with people is one-on-one I would say in person but it can be done online and like via Skype chat for example and I do a lot of that but there comes a point when I can be physically there then we can get a bit more into the physical stuff because that can be coached only to a certain degree although I have to say quite a high degree through an online or phone thing so because a lot of what I do is about getting into the body because that's where our emotions are, that's where our closure is, our trauma, our fear, and also all our strength and all our energy. And it's where the layers of personality get built. So the heart of what I do, I've come to realize, is essentially is about relaxing. I'm getting people to relax 
the layers that they've built up to protect themselves. All those layers can look very different. It might be an overly masculine, hard layer. You know, it's very closed. And well, I say masculine, more like in the sort of a socially constructed masculinity. So, you know, I'm trying to live up to my dad's ideals. So I'm going to be a big tough guy like he was. And so it's just a layer, you know. And then another layer might be very soft. Well, I don't want to upset mummy, so I'm going to be good. And I'm going to smile all the time because when I was upset, she got upset. And that made me feel like it was my fault. And so here I am, smiley guy. I'm happy all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of what I do is get people to relax those layers which are in the body. So I'll point out to them, you see how you're holding yourself here, here, here. You feel that. So be mindful of this. And next time you feel yourself doing that, relax that or tighten this here or pull those shoulders back a little bit or whatever it is. And it's very different for each person. And then I have ongoing support, you know, through a lot. I text, I'm texting a lot throughout the day. I find a lot of guys, they can text me whenever and they say, hey, I'm feeling like this at the moment. I'm like, okay, cool. Thanks for telling me. This is what I would like to feed back to you on that. And a lot of it is building trust over a long period of time and getting people to relax with me and then encouraging them to practice that in their day-to-day lives. And that involves all sorts of work from, I give them books to read and give them physical practices. And something that I find very powerful as well is journaling and abstinence as well. So getting people to abstain from certain things and then basically whatever activity, because we're all doing something to numb, distract or soothe the wounds we have. All of us are doing something, usually several things. So it's a bit of like numbing out in front of the TV and a little bit of drinking on the weekend. And, you know, some people it's an explicit addiction. So I take people through a program which is quite similar to the 12 steps, actually. And it involves some abstinence and then seeing what comes up. And so that's more of like the self-parenting stuff I do and taking ownership of the inner child in us. And that's really powerful stuff. And we find that a lot of these layers that I've been talking about are there to protect that inner child. So a bit of an unstructured roundabout way of answering your question. But that's what I do with people, individuals and with couples. It's mostly this. It's mostly about working on one or both on an individual level and giving them some things to do together. But really, to make a good relationship, you really need two whole people. So what I've discovered is the most effective thing with couples is for them to work on their own stuff and come together with that. So it's like 80 to 90% working with people on their stuff and 20 to 10% relationship couple exercises, you know? Makes sense. I wanted to say that my listeners know that I have a background in psychotherapy and I've worked with couples for several years. And I was very excited to discover in your book, in the skills and disciplines chapter, two very powerful elements that I was using. And actually, I'm still using quite frequently when relationship issues come up in the coaching that I do. And I'm talking about the mastering the art of validation and about hearing the request, not the criticism. These are very powerful, very therapeutic tools, actually. And I wanted to invite you to elaborate a little bit on both of them. So let's talk a little bit about the art of validation. It is extremely important to understand a distinction around 
validating someone's emotions. Because usually, in my experience, guys have a difficult time validating their partner's emotions because they believe that this would imply that they are in agreement with several things that she is saying and obviously they do not agree, they are not on the same page and all of that. And this usually generates a powerful conflict and tension. And the distinction is that while emotionally validating your partner's feelings implies that you are actually able to let go for a little bit your inner thoughts, you know, your own emotions and be empathic with the person standing in front of you and trying to really dive in deeper in what she is feeling and saying then and there. And this doesn't imply that you actually have to agree at a cognitive level with the information that she's talking about. And I can elaborate a little bit more on this, but I would like to hear your take on it as well. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Sounds like you just did it already. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your experience? Maybe I had guys that are more, I don't know, living more in their heads. Usually the guys that I work with, they're not the sporting type. They're not very physical. I'm sure that you have different experiences that I do, considering the fact that you are very physical with the guys that you're working with. Yeah, thank you. I think my experience is much like yours. You know, the reason I work so much with the body is because my guys and myself at times as well are very much in our heads as well. And um, yeah, just to sort of probably reiterate much of what you said, validation, firstly, it really is an art. That's why I call it master the art of validation. It's not just to make it sound martial artsy. This is a this is really an art and one that I do not have a black belt in myself yet because it's that hard. I mean, it's, it's really very difficult. It takes years of training and practice. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, man. Mindfulness, meditation and, you know, blood and sweat. Basically, the thing with, with validation, as you said, is that we really need to have a strong sense of self in order to validate somebody else because what happens is as you know from your background uh, you know I don't have an academic clinical sort of background in psychology or anything but you know as you you know very well when we have weak ego boundaries weak sense of self when we have holes in our sense of self by entering somebody else's world by trying to reflect someone else's world back to them because we don't have a strong sense of our own world, can often feel like we're losing ourselves. And so this sense of, well, if I apologize, it means I admit I did something wrong. Like that's the surface level of it. But I also think that sometimes inviting somebody to step into someone else's world can be like abandoning your own for some people. And I've known that this has been true for myself in the past. And, you know, if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what you've done right and wrong, if you are so full of shame that to admit that you've done something wrong makes you feel like that you are wrong. If we cannot experience the feeling of guilt without it feeling like shame, then we can never really validate somebody else. Because to apologize for what we did, even though, or more specifically, to apologize for our actions that made the other person feel a certain way without feeling responsible for how they feel, because we're not, it takes a lot. Because validating somebody, which essentially is to make them feel understood, deeply understood, is to reflect their world back to them and say that, okay, I understand that this is your experience. It doesn't mean that we are taking responsibility for that because we can't make people feel anything no more than we can make and other sorry no more than other people can make us feel something so 
validation is a deep thing because in order to validate somebody else, you need to be able to validate yourself all the time. You need to have a strong sense of self. You need to be able to know where your responsibilities begin and end. And this was a big thing in my own journey. It took me a long time to realize that a lot of my problems come from the fact that I actually feel responsible for everybody's happiness or unhappiness, you know, the sort of nice guy syndrome. But it was quite deep and hidden in me like really on a subtle level. And I trace that back to my own experiences as a child. So yeah, it's only by working on that and realizing what I'm not responsible for that I can make people feel understood. And the last thing I'd say as well is particularly for a feminine partner, feeling understood is like the most soothing thing. Or more specifically, the feminine part in all of us is deeply soothed when it feels understood because to be understood is to be seen. And this is the feminine aspect of us and of the universe. If you want to get deep into that, it's all about being witnessed. So yeah, mastering the art of validation is a very masculine practice and a very deep practice. Absolutely. Very well said. I couldn't agree more with you, Sharif. And guys, this is one of the skills that you really have to master and dedicate time and energy towards, definitely. And the second element that I've mentioned, hearing the request, not the criticism, in a way is connected to this. It's taking it a step further. It's about understanding that usually frustration, tension, anger, especially in a couple's relationship, tend to hide something else. Something that usually has to do with a want, a desire, a need. What is your experience with this, Sharif? Yeah, it's funny. You know, when I, um, <laughs> I remember when I was writing that part of the book, that was something that I was struggling with the most <laughs> at that time, like that very specific sort of day that week is, you know, feeling quite, I can't remember the specifics of the thing. I was feeling very sort of criticized. And like I said, it's very similar to the art of validation. And to be able to have your feminine partner, your woman or whoever, express their upset to you, their anger, their fear, their grief or whatever, and to be able to see that this is their yearning for love instead of a criticism of you, is there's a couple of things there. One is, as before, when you need to have a strong sense of self, because women are upset with us, when our girlfriends or wives are upset with us, it taps right into that little boy that feels that deep shame of being told off by our mums. Though it's a cliche thing, but it's true. You marry your mum, you know, <laughs> it's... It, it is what it is. And when she's upset with you, it's tapping right into that little boy part that says, I'm a bad boy. Mum is not happy with me. And it's really difficult to sit with that. It's really painful. So what happens is to not, in order to not feel that, we close up and say, well, that's telling me off. Well, how about you when you did the thing? And so all this fighting is just an attempt to not feel that feeling. So to be able to sit with that and take ownership of that feeling and say, you know, well, I do feel a kind of told off right now. I'm having feelings of I can never get it right. It feels like she's never happy with me. Okay, I own those feelings because they're mine. When you can do that, then you can begin to look at her and see what she's really saying. Now, the other side of that, I have to say, is we have to be careful. And this is one of the dangers of some of those sort of books on masculinity and something that I tried to address in my own book, which is there is a way to be spoken to that is sort of right. And there is a way of expressing things that are wrong. And it goes both ways. So one thing we have to be really careful of is that we're not trying to stand and be open and receiving and present in the face of abuse, 
Okay, so one really powerful thing is when both partners learn how to freaking talk to each other, first of all, how to request to be heard and how to speak in a way which is about your feelings, not the other person. That's easier said than done. So if we have a partner that doesn't practice this, and when she's upset, it comes out as, you did this, 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 because your intention was this, this, this. She's making all these assumptions about us. I mean, who can stay open in the face of that? That's like me taking a complete beginner and saying, hey, so defend yourself against this, and then wailing on him and punching him in the face. So there comes a point where I can't really turn someone into a black belt so they can stand in the face of all abuse. And so it's really nice when your partner is able to communicate from their heart and their heart's yearning. And that might look like anger and it might look like pain. It might look like disappointment and deep grief, but it comes from the heart, not from their own daddy issues or put their own ego-based issues. And I'm very lucky to have a woman who practices just as hard, if not harder than me in these things. And it really makes all the difference. So this is where working with couples is a really helpful thing because you can only do so much with somebody from one side of things. So yeah, in all cases, when your feminine partner is upset with you, it usually can be boiled down really simply to that she is not feeling your love. She is not feeling the flow of love from you and is feeling unloved. And yet there will be surface level circumstances around that it's because you said this or you didn't say that or you know whatever it is and there's something there to be looked at but if you can try and take ownership of those things and then feel deeper into what you really want then we can start becoming relationship samurais you know and one final piece of advice for the guys before we move into the next segment of the show is that obviously there is so much value in your book, so many powerful tools and details and profound insights. And there are so many other books as well that guys can read to better understand how to create that perfect relationship or anyway, something very close to what they believe to be perfect. But what I wanted to add is that my wife and I have just celebrated 10 years of marriage a couple of months ago. And after having such a long relationship, obviously we've dated a few years before getting married. So people ask me, what's your secret? It must be the fact that you're a psychotherapist. It must be the fact that you've worked with so many couples. <laughs> the truth is... No way. All psychotherapists are nuts. You know that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the main reason they began studying psychology in the first place. <laughs> So no, it has to do with developing especially these two very, very powerful skills. So again, it's about the art, as you called it in your book, the art of validation and being able to understand that the criticism that you perceive is actually there to tell you that there's something deeper. Her heart desires something. It's about, as I said, a want, a desire, a need. You have to try to connect to that. And that's the best way to work on an intimate relationship. And exactly as you said, it has much to do with having both partners aware and mindful of these elements because I have to admit that in my case as well, my wife is working at least the same as I do or even more to make sure that this dynamic is always present between us. Okay, Sharif, as we are reaching the final part of the show, I would like to ask you a few more questions that will give the audience invaluable pieces of wisdom to help them on their journey. So are you ready for the fire round? I'm good to go. <laughs> okay, here's the first question. If you were to recommend one book that every man must read, what would it be and why? 
So when you say every man, the first thing that came to mind is the way of the superior man. Probably all your listeners know it. But um, I have to say, actually, that's not my book. That's not what I'm going to say, because I did think about this a little bit. So the thing with that particular book is it's most people, honestly, most men are not ready for it. I wasn't ready for it. I've been reading it over and over and studying these practices and practicing them myself for four years now. And I'm only just got to the point where I can read it and not really get anything new from it anymore. It's taken me that many, like literally hundreds of times to read and practice and to get things wrong (laughs) in order to get it. So what I've realized recently is that if you really want to understand the masculine as data describes it one really amazing place to look at which is somewhere i had looked at years previously but didn't make the connection straight away is eckhart tolle and the power of now he talks about presence and the witnessing and the observer in this book so the power of now he's really the ultimate in my opinion teacher of the masculine in its most base level there's many layers to sort of the masculine in people but at its root it's about being the witness and if listeners don't really know what i'm talking about when i say that eckhart tolle the power of now and yeah that's it it's a it's a life-changing book absolutely i completely agree and i highly recommend it so for those of you who are interested to find out more i will leave a link to that book in the show notes definitely thank you for that Sharif, if you had the opportunity to talk to your 20-year-old self, what advice would you give him? What would you tell him to do differently? Don't marry that No. Um, (laughs) I would probably probably say, I mean, first of all, my immediate feeling is I wouldn't change anything about my life because if it was any different, then it wouldn't look like how it looks like now. But one thing that does actually sort of come to mind is I would say to him, avoid intensity. Or I would say just tone down the intensity. It's only quite recently come to appreciate is that intensity in behavior usually always equals dysfunction. So intensity in relationship, intensity in our view of the world, intensity in the way that we sort of live our lives and all of that, we go about work or even exercise. Intense usually means unhealthy. And my sister, who's five years older than me, not so subtly tried to tell me this throughout my teens when we was growing up together. I just thought, saw it as a criticism. But I look at her now and she's a really well put together person who I respect a lot. And what I realize is she avoids intensity. So there's a time and place for intense and there's different kinds of intense. But the kind of intense that I was really practicing was very closed and not good. And it caused a lot of problems for myself and the people closest to me. So, yeah, that's what I'd say. Thank you for sharing that with us. It's very powerful. May I ask you to share a piece of advice that your father never got to tell you, or maybe he didn't know about being a man in today's world? I'm talking about information or advice that would have changed everything in your adult life. Information or advice that you would be sure to share with the future generations. Yeah, so I'll tell you something that he did say that I wish he hadn't, and something that I then went on to say to my own son and my own daughter, actually, which I wish I hadn't. And I have to say, it was a time when I was going through a lot. I was about 14 years old and having some kind of anxiety, depression episode. And he came into London because he wasn't living in London at the time to kind of support me or whatever. (laughs) So I give him credit for that. But what he said to me one time was, 
don't cry. You know, I hate when people cry, especially men, you know, because I was breaking down in front of them and I did indeed stop crying. And I later, very unconscious moment, did this with my own children. I'm thinking of one particular time with my son and I'm sure I've done a similar thing with my daughter at some point too and said, you know, don't cry. You know, basically what I'm saying is bite your lip, you know, keep your emotions because I can't handle your emotions. So I don't want you to feel them, you know, which is absolutely horrendous when you frame it like that. So one thing I would wish my dad had said was, okay, let it out. And so this is what I practice now with my own kids and my clients and everybody and myself, you know, give myself permission to cry and feel whatever I'm feeling. I love it. I love it. Okay. Sharif, this has been great. Before we say goodbye, I want to ask you to tell us about the projects that currently excite you and where can people find you? Yeah, thank you. So the best place is... Google. If you type in Sharif H. Joynson, I'm sure they will be able to spell that from the show notes in your podcast. And you'll find what comes up is, of course, my website and a lot of the online publications that I write for and my book, which is called, as we said, Relationship Samurai. And something that I've just put together and set up is a men's workshop, which is taking place in March next year, 2018. And that's going to be here in London. And a theme is going to be revealing the dark masculine. And it's really the product of every, all my experiences. It's some of the deepest stuff I do. So yeah, that's what I've got going on right now. Absolutely. It's very interesting. I hope to be able to be there in London in March because it sounds truly amazing. I would like to be a part of that experience, Sharif. Oh, I've got a place for you. Don't worry. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate it. All right. Sharif, thanks again for joining us today and I hope to have you again on the Men's Journey Today podcast in the future. Great. Thanks so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Guys, till next time. Take care. 